Welcome to the Mojas Druitt Family Team podcast series. I'm Victoria Cobham. And I'm Elizabeth Dowler. And in this podcast series, we're going to be explaining a little bit more about some key family law topics to give people more of an understanding about their money and their life. In this podcast, we're going to talk about how people can resolve their financial matters and the ways that they can do that after a divorce or separation. So as an overview, and we'll go into each one within this podcast in a little bit more detail, the the options available are kitchen table discussions, mediation, solicitor negotiation and collaborative law as as a sort of separate element uh, to that, arbitration and court. And in terms of if if we uh, think about a table and we think about sort of on the one hand, sort of costs going up, you know, higher and higher. And on the sort of other access, sort of the level of trust starting off high, but getting less and less. Mm -hmm. We can sort of pinpoint these along the way. And sort of kitchen table discussions, obviously, that's going to be where there's a high level of trust between the parties, being able to have those discussions together. Um, But obviously, it's going to mean that they don't incur a lot of costs. Mm -hmm. And then you go all the way up, obviously, to court proceedings, where most likely, if you're if you're there, um, there's going to be less trust between the parties because obviously you haven't been able to resolve it, um, but a lot more costs. So, you know, the these options that there is sort of a, a, a cost implication to them, um, and we'll run through that. Um, but also, not every option will be necessarily suitable um, for for every individual, um, and, and we'll go on to why why each option may not be suitable when we go through them in more detail. Okay, so let's talk through some of the options in more detail. So we've we've mentioned kind of kitchen table discussions. Can you talk me through that a little bit more? Absolutely. So that's when a couple literally, you know, sit down together. They don't have any solicitors and they sort of say, do you know what? We know what our assets are and they're fairly simple. Um, you know, there might be a house and a couple of bank accounts um, and they both earn a, a, a similar income. And they say, let's let's try and sort this out together. And then if we've reached an agreement, we'll then go to solicitors to obviously help us in drawing that up. And is that going to be suitable for everyone? So, uh are not suitable for everyone. So obviously, uh, we go back to that graph, it, it's going to require a great deal of, of trust and, and the communication between the parties is going to have to be quite good for them to do that. Um, I think also, you know, it's 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 going to be uh, appropriate for people whose assets, you know, are more simple. Um, if, for example, there are really complex businesses, pension assets, um, etc., then um you know, there's going to need to be some, some some more professional input on that, be that consideration of tax implications, uh, be that needing to get an actuary involved to work out the, the pension provisions. So um, not suitable in every case, but obviously it, it is an option and we want to discuss all options open to people. Um, and, 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 and we do have people who do come to us and say, you know, we've, we've reached an agreement, our assets are fairly straightforward, this is what we want to agree, can you, can you draw this up? And when you, when you mentioned drawing it up, what, what does that mean? So is it always necessary to have it drawn up? So absolutely. Um, and in our podcast um, on divorce, we talk about how important it is in relation to finances to not just get divorced and not deal with the finances. I mean, even if you don't have any assets and people sort of say, OK, we'll just 
each go with what we've got. Still really important to have what's called a consent order or financial remedy order drawn up, um, which basically says we're, our claims against each other are dismissed. Um, so um, really important because if, if later on someone were to inherit or someone were to win the lottery, um, then uh, effectively if you haven't got that order that deals with the finances that's rubber stamped by the court saying that your claims against each other are dismissed um your claims are open and your you know ex-spouse because even if you've got divorced it doesn't dismiss your financial claims can come and make a claim on those assets so really important even if you you know don't have any joint assets and and you think really simple straightforward just go our separate ways really important to still get what's called a clean break order drawn up and lodged with the court and and approved by the court in relation to the finances so the next method you spoke about was mediation so can you talk us through a little bit more about how mediation works yeah absolutely so um if i explain sort of the mediator's role as a starting point um so the mediator is often a solicitor um, trained in mediation as well. However, sort of, even though they're a solicitor, that's not going to be their role within this process and they cannot advise either party. One of the most crucial elements to mediation is that the mediator is neutral and impartial. So they're not going to give advice, they're not going to take sides. They are there to really help structure, um, you know, understanding and going through sort of what are the assets and then again facilitating those discussions between the party as as to how do we divide up those assets so there are a couple of really key sort of principles to mediation so one is obviously the mediator's impartiality um, the second one is um, sort of the, the status of those discussions so um what mediation is, is is something called without prejudice. So if I explain what that means, uh, that means that any discussions about settlement, so or offers, um, those discussions are, are confidential. So if mediation breaks down and you aren't able to reach an agreement, you you know those discussions cannot be used outside the process. They cannot be. You can't be go go outside the process. And if you're in court, you you can't say, well, you said that at mediation. You offered that at mediation. That's just not possible. So I guess it just allows people to put their best foot forward, doesn't it? it encourages Absolutely. people to be open, honest, and say, you know, this is what what I want without fear of thinking is that going to come back and bite me put your bottom line down not be afraid that that's going to be used against you Mm. because the whole point is you want to settle this there are some exceptions to that so obviously anything disclosed in terms of fact in terms of an asset that can be used outside the process but any as I say any settlement offers um, and discussions um, remain what's called without prejudice so that's the mediator's role but quite often, um, you know, people will, uh, mediators will often say, you know, go and take some advice on the proposals that you've put forward. And that often quite works well for our clients, doesn't it? I think so. I think it, you know, we were talking about trust earlier. I think sometimes people have got a lot of trust with their ex-partner, but they just need a little bit of help, either understanding the finances or helping reach an agreement. And I think that's where mediation with the assistance of a solicitor can really help because it allows you still to sit around a table and work things out. But you've also got that peace of mind that you've almost got someone in your corner helping you think about things, helping you think outside the box, perhaps coming up with questions that need to be asked or thinking about deals that can be structured. So it can be quite a nice way of helping people do it in a very friendly and conciliatory way. 
but also making sure that you feel that you have really fully explored everything that needs to be discussed as well yeah absolutely and I've you know well we've worked with several clients who you know we have advised sort of before mediation a session after a mediation session you know throughout that process you know I've had clients who've actually broken out whilst they're mediating and called me because they've Mm. really reached quite a crucial point but just want to have some some legal advice and um you know I I I think it's a a really positive option for a lot of people and what about once you've reached an agreement what then happens so once you've reached an agreement um that's not that's not binding at any point you know again the mediator will say um you know you 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 seem to have reached a, a mutual set of proposals go away and take some advice on it and what they'll prepare to help you do that are two documents usually so one document is called an open financial statement and that document is sort of usually a schedule of assets so what are the assets that we have you know that the, the parties have disclosed within mediation um, that's an open document so it can be shown outside the mediation process and can be used but then supplemental to that will be something called a, um, a memorandum of understanding and that will contain your discussions about settlement and what you have both sort of mutually proposed as a, as a way to resolve this and that document is headed without prejudice again we use, yeah. we've used that term so that you can take it to your solicitors take advice you know, nine times out of 10, particularly with, you know, we work with really proactive mediators and very good mediators, and we'll make referrals to really good mediators. Um, But um, quite often, um, nine times out of 10, that'll be great. But there might be some cases where a few tweaks might need to be made or thought about. Um, And and again, you don't make it open um, and draw it up into anything sort of binding um, until, you know, that agreement has been reached. But, But those two documents will be prepared by the mediator. What happens if you start mediation, but then it doesn't work or it breaks down? So mediation is a voluntary process. So it needs both of you to sort of commit to it, but it doesn't always work. Um, It might not be an option at the outset completely because, for example, uh, you know, there might be significant domestic violence, you know, Mm. things like that that make mediation just the power imbalance too much or, or one party really needs more support by way of resolving it through solicitors um so mediation might not be right from the outset for a variety of reasons um but if it breaks down you know part way through you just can't you reach an impasse then there are other options um either through solicitors or going to court if if you need to go to court then um what the court will want to see is that you've tried mediation mm-hmm. um the court are very pro um sort of uh, couples you know, trying to resolve things outside of court because the court is so backlogged at the moment. Um, So if you do need to make a court application, then you will need a certificate from the mediator anyway um, to say either it's not suitable or you've tried and it's it's not worked out. So how is instructing a solicitor different to mediation? That's so this is what people I think mostly think of when they think, oh, I, you know, I've, I've separated, I've divorced, I need to move things forward. The first thing people think of is, is, solicitors and 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 both of you having a solicitor and there being sort of a a, a correspondence or whatever to, to resolve things um so the, the the key difference is obviously your solicitor is able to give you they act for you alone they've got your best interests um uh, to, to look out for and they'll be able to give advice now a lot of people think that can be incredibly acrimonious you've got letters going back and forth and that's that's just not how certainly we work Mm. um and certainly we would still aim 
you know, in, in the first instance to try and resolve things really amicably. Even if you've both got solicitors, it doesn't stop you getting around or getting around a table. Absolutely. And we've also got a concept called collaborative law. Yeah. So you're able to kind of talk me through that a little bit? Yes, yeah, so collaborative law um, is where you've, you, you both appoint um, solicitors who are specifically collaboratively trained. They've done extra training to be collaborative um, lawyers. And um, what that means is that you uh, have a series of what are called uh, four-way meetings. So that's where the four of you sit around a table and, 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 and try and resolve things. But you can do that in a collaborative way, but not strict collaborative law with your solicitors. The key difference with collaborative law is that um, you sign up at the very beginning to something called a participation agreement. And that effectively says, you know, if we can't resolve this with our collaborative lawyers, um, then actually what we have to do is disinstruct our lawyers and go to separate, you know, go to completely different lawyers mm. um, and, and who have to then take it forward. Quite a good incentive, isn't it, to, to get and things done? And that's the point, absolutely. It's a real incentive. People, you know, sign up to that sort of, I think you've got to be pretty certain that it's, you know, it's unlikely to break down yeah. um, because, uh, you know, it's it, it, our matters will last sometimes for years mm. and you really do build up a, a, a relationship and a connection with your, your client. Mm. Um, and so, as you say, it's a real incentive because actually if you, you've been working with your solicitor for 12 months, mm. um, the thought of, you know, if you built up a really good relationship of, of having to go elsewhere and start all over again um you know probably does does focus the mind so um and it also means that things are dealt with very openly so typically speaking you wouldn't have you know uh sort of discussions outside of the collaborative process um everything's done sort of together really um as one um and you can bring professionals into those four-way meetings so um as i say that the concept's the same i mean you don't have to do collaborative law if you felt that there might might be um, prospect of it breaking down. Um, you could just instruct two solicitors who could still have, you know, um, roundtable meetings to, to try and resolve things. And and I think that's the thing is that actually, I think a lot of people think if you get a very um, a- aggressive lawyer, um, that's that's going to help your case. I have to say, personally, in my experience. Um, where there's been a very aggressive lawyer on the other side, it's just inevitably meant that it's taken more time. Um, we've ended up in court. You can't pick up the phone and have a really constructive conversation or you can't have a roundtable meeting. And I actually think that if you've got sensible lawyers on both sides, you know, obviously we're going to look out and get our client the best deal. But actually, if you can pick up the phone, it gets things resolved quicker and more cost effectively for the clients. Yeah. And... You've mentioned arbitration. So arbitration isn't something we come across a lot no, in the family profession. But I think it's there's going to be a real shift. And I think actually there's going to be more of an encouragement to go to arbitration. So can you explain a little bit more about how that works? Yeah, so it's a fairly new concept. Um, well, for, for family law yeah. anyway. Um, and it, it's effectively almost like private court proceedings. Mm. So it's not obviously going to be suitable for everyone. But for those people that um, have either a discrete issue or the whole thing to resolve and they perhaps, you know, don't want to wait six months for a court hearing or whatever, what they can do is uh, jointly instruct usually a, a, a barrister, um, mm. a senior barrister, deputy judge or something who can actually um, 
sit and, and arbitrate the case. So what would happen is it would be like you were going to court. So you would instruct solicitors, barristers who would basically represent you, present your case. Um, the arbitrator, who would be this other senior barrister who's obviously trained in arbitration, would hear those arguments and make a judgment. Um, and, uh, and, and that would be binding on you. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't be in a courtroom. You would be perhaps at offices or somewhere where you've mutually agreed. Um, there is an additional cost to that because obviously if you go to court, you don't pay as such for the for the judge, mm. whereas you would pay for the arbitrator. I guess it's a little bit like private health care, isn't it? You could Absolutely. go to, you know, you could be on a waiting list for the NHS for, for 12 months yeah. or you could go off to a private doctor and be seen within a couple of days. And I guess it's a, it's a little bit like that. Um, but it allows people the flexibility of, of time. Absolutely. Um, for that to suit their needs. It can be, you know, outside of normal working hours and, and things like that. It's a much more flexible process. But as you say, it comes with a cost implication. But for some people, you know, the cost versus time is, it's worth it for them so I think it's certainly something that we may be working towards more as a profession rather than waiting 12 18 months for a court here and you could yeah. say you know let's get this wrapped up in the next couple of months and get it done yeah absolutely so I guess the last thing we really need to talk through is, is the court process so how would that work so we can imagine maybe we've tried some of these other methods they haven't worked or you know we've had to issue a court application or in, or in some cases we needed to issue one urgently so how does that work so, um, you know, if really you've reached, either if there's an urgency, mm. um, and I think what, what we just need to say at this juncture is I know we've been talking about the dispute resolution um, options in terms of finances, but just to explain, the, all of these dispute resolution options are open for any issue, mm. so arising from a separation or divorce. So um, if, if, you know, for children matters, for example... Yeah mediation, kitchen table discussions, solicitors, mm. collaborative, or court, all of these options are available for children issues as well as financial issues. Um, but if we sort of go through the court process in terms of the finances, obviously you, you make a court application um, and at that point you're, you're in the court arena, there's a court timetable. Um, it really is often the last resort just yeah. because when we're talking about court proceedings I'm afraid by their very nature um, they are incredibly costly um, and uh, and and also you know a lot of people think oh right let's go to court let's get it done quickly I'm afraid that's the absolute opposite the mm. courts are snarled up at the moment and you know you were probably talking 12 18 months before a, a final order is made sometimes longer if, if if there's expert reports you know some actuaries reports for example can take you know five six months to receive just and that's a discrete element so you know it can be much longer as well so it isn't the quick fix but it's there as an option for people who really you know there is no other option for whatever reason um and in terms of the you know finance finances there are generally sort of we have a, a three three stage court hearing process um so we've got um first court hearing called a first appointment um that is sort of a timetabling exercise in the finances so um Basically, it's, OK, what do we need? What information do we need in order pro to progress this case? And it might be valuations of assets and, and, and things like that. But it's quite a short appointment, 30 minutes usually. Um, don't give evidence at that hearing. Um, and as I say, it's really, a, a I suppose, a case management mm. hearing. And then we've got the second hearing, 
Yeah. Um, do you want to sort of explain that? that, that yeah, element? so the second hearing is called a financial dispute resolution appointment. And what that is, is almost the judge is sitting as a mediator. So he will see or hear both sides of the argument and will then give an opinion about what they think the case would settle at if it was to go to a final hearing. So what it is, it allows everyone to put their case forward and to have someone almost sense check both sides and say, this is where I think it will, will fall. And the idea behind that is to help people understand what the case is going to look like. They've had the opportunity to have their arguments explored, but also the idea behind this appointment is to stop the case from going any further. So it's an opportunity for people to settle. And it may well be that it's a, a settlement point in the middle, or it may well be that actually one party's case is, is a lot stronger and the other party needs to recognise that some of their points either aren't valid or aren't appropriate to be run in the case. So nine times out of ten, the case will settle at this appointment and people are able to present to the court an agreement, which will then be ratified by the court to make it legally binding. So it's a really good opportunity for everyone to really take stock of where they are. And I think another quite important point is the court will ask the parties to set out how much it's going to cost to get the case to a final hearing. And that can be quite sobering for many people Mm. because we're talking of tens of thousands of pounds. And if you're arguing over that amount of money, then it does help people think, actually, do we just need to draw a line here? Do we need to, rather than spend that money on the lawyers... Do we need to come up with something practical in the middle? And that's really the idea behind this this stage in the court process. If you can't settle that, then you go off to a final hearing. And that is usually quite, I would say, quite an unpleasant process. It's very stressful for everyone. Potentially you have to give evidence against your ex-spouse or Mm. ex-partner. And at that point, the decision-making is taken out of your hands. A judge will make a decision and that decision will be binding upon you. And it may be something that you don't like. And that can be really hard for people because, you know, for someone to tell you how you're going to manage your life, how much money you're going to get from your house sale, how much, you know, potentially income you have to pay to your ex-partner, that can be a real relinquishing of control. So ultimately, we do try to to avoid that at all costs, but sometimes it is necessary. And, you know, I always say to my clients, court is an option of last resort, but it is necessary sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think you know, we we do strive to, to try and resolve things outside of court because at that point like you say it's quite binary there's you know that the court uh, have a certain number of orders that they can make and in the nicest way you know they're not going to have the time uh, or the option to come up with really creative solutions mm. that bespokely meet the needs of the family mm. that's actually the beauty of trying to do this um collaboratively or in a collaborative manner you know with with solicitors or you know otherwise but in another dispute resolution way um as well as the you know usually the cost saving as well and 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 time um i will just sort of pick up on that um in terms of the court process we've 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 talked about how that works with the finances um we have done a separate podcast Mm. um about children matters and specifically if you were to make a court application in relation to children that court process and how it works so so if that's something you're interested in um i know we've talked about finances in this podcast but do refer to that podcast because it talks through the court process for the children in a lot of detail so i think think just to summarize what we've spoken about today there is a whole range of different ways that you can resolve your finances and i think you know what people need to recognize is you, you can start in one and realize that's not quite right for me i need the next step up 
Or alternatively, you know, you can start on one process, say, solicit negotiation and think, actually, no, you know what, we've got to a process where the trust has been built up. Um, I know what the assets are and I actually feel ready to either step back to having a kitchen table discussion or mediation. And I think that's, it can be quite flexible. And I think it's about working out what's right for you and your family and it's about finding a solicitor who can help you do that yeah I agree and and what we quite often you know would recommend whenever we get a new inquiry is come in for an initial consultation because actually what we'll do is we'll talk you through your case your family's individual needs and actually you know which option based on your specific circumstances might be right for you (laughs) 